coming and meeting with Richard for comic relief. He is a creator, you know, he is the creator of, oh my gosh, you know, Notting Hill, Four Weddings and a Funeral, Love Actually, he created Mr. Bean. He's, I mean, he is just, he is a creative through and through. He took his magical superpowers of creativity and turned that into a, a billion and a half, almost two billion now, if you combine US and UK, dollars of good to social impact to help people's lives. Welcome to Lead With Your Brand, the podcast that explores exceptional career success stories, inspiring and insightful personal brand journeys that answer the question, are you coffee or are you Starbucks? Fascinating conversations with leaders about their career breakthroughs from entertainment, tech, media, and more. You'll learn how they've turned up the volume on their brand to unlock success. First-hand, uncensored, and real, as told by people who've been there, and plenty of inspiration and practical tools to help you lead with your brand every day as you drive towards your next career breakthrough. And now, here's your host, personal branding expert, diversity advocate, and keynote speaker, Jason Patria. Hey everybody, Jason Patria here, and you are listening to the Lead With Your Brand podcast, which is the podcast for people just like you who are looking to turn up the volume, show your value, and lead with your brand to your next career breakthrough. Well, we've got another amazing show today. I've got Allison Moore, who is the CEO of Comic Relief US. But before we get to our exciting conversation with Allison, I want to talk a little bit about your mission. You know, this last weekend, I had a chance to go to the big farewell retirement benefit for Lori L. Jean, who is the CEO of the Los Angeles LGBT Center. Now, many of you all know that I've served on the board of directors of the Los Angeles LGBT Center for almost 12 years. Now, this was an amazing event as we were celebrating Lori Jean's uh, over 25 years of service uh, in two tours of duty at the organization. And it really made me reflect back on all of my years being involved with this great nonprofit. You know, back when I first joined the board, Lori asked me to be on a committee around branding. And of course, I was super excited because I had been working with these great brands like Telemundo and Bravo and, and USA. So I was excited to bring all of this corporate uh, knowledge to the nonprofit space. And I joined this committee and I was with a small group of folks, in, including Lori Jean and our uh, chief marketing officer at the time. And we were really working with an agency to define and refine our brand. You know, at the time, our problem was, was that everyone thought of our organization as sort of a small local community services center, when in fact, the Los Angeles LGBT Center is the world's oldest and largest nonprofit organization serving the LGBTQ plus community, but most people didn't think of it in that way. In fact, our services not only happen in Los Angeles, but we build frameworks that are replicated across the United States, and we do international work even uh, in countries like China with young activists who are growing and serving the community there. And the branding piece was really all about getting 
getting in touch with who we were and defining our position in a way that was meaningful for people to understand the value. Now, the great thing in working with our agency partners was doing huge focus groups with our clients and our donors and our volunteers and and our over 800 employees there. And it really gave us a chance to come in and really craft a great mission and a core belief. And at the time, what we came up with was this core belief that at the Los Angeles LGBT Center, we believe that LGBTQ plus people have a fundamental right to be healthy, equal, and complete members of society. That really came down to the core of our belief and mission for our brand. And I know you're thinking to yourself, well, well, what does a mission have to do with your brand? Well, I want to challenge you to think about what is your mission? What is that core principle or belief that you have that drives everything you do? When we talk about being your best authentic self, your brand should be built on a foundation of your mission and your core belief that drives you. Now, from that core belief statement, we were able to create a core promise, right? And that core promise is, what is it that we deliver? What is it that we promise to give to our stakeholders, right? And our stakeholders are are the community and clients and, and our employees. And we said, quite frankly, based on our belief, the promise that we give is building a better world for LGBTQ plus people. And we're going to do it one person at a time. Right? That was our core promise. That's that's what we promise our audience. And so I challenge you to think about once you figure out your mission, what is the promise that you have for your career audience? For those stakeholders and your raving fans and your super fans that you want to super serve, what is that core promise that you can commit to doing as part of your brand? And finally, as with all great brands, we had to come up with that positioning statement. What's the brand? position of the center. And quite frankly, after thinking all the way through it, after reading tons of focus group data and interviews, it came down to quite simply that no one does more for LGBTQ plus people than the Los Angeles LGBT Center. That was our positioning statement, and it allowed our great CEO like Lori Jean to be able to to go to a funder and said, here's why you should donate money to us, because no one is doing more for this community than our organization. So once you come up with your promise and your core belief, you've got to have that positioning statement. If someone asked you in a job interview, you're a finalist, hey, you know, you're one of three finalists here and you all would be great in this job. Why should I hire you? You've got to have that positioning statement down. What makes you different? Why should I turn to you? Why should I bring you onto my team? Why should I hire you? Why should I have you come and consult with us? You've got to have that core positioning statement so that you can build your brand around that. Well, we've got another great mission-focused organization and CEO on the show today. Her name is Allison Moore, who I met way back in the days when she was running Daily Candy. She is now the CEO of Comic Relief US, where she joined in 2019, bringing her extensive and diverse experience from media and technology. Now, Allison came to Comic Relief US to grow the engagement, scale, and impact 
of what their core belief is and their core mission because they believe that the power of entertainment can drive positive change in the most under-resourced communities. Now, through her leadership, Comic Relief U.S. is creating new content campaigns and launching innovative social impact-led funds, providing more platforms for brands, organizations, and communities to make a greater impact together. The funds raised will support nonprofits, community-led partners, and their programs to tackle the consequences and root causes of intergenerational poverty. Now, since 2015, Comic Relief U.S. has partnered closely with Walgreens, NBC, and the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation on its year-round Red Nose Day campaign to end child poverty. In fact, in the past seven years, Red Nose Day has raised over $275 million and positively impacted over 30 million children in the U.S. and around the world. Now, Allison was previously the chief business officer of the Beauty Collection at Condé Nast, overseeing Glamour and Allure. Prior to Condé Nast, Allison was the chief revenue officer at SoundCloud, and she's held multiple executive level positions at NBC Universal, Daily Candy, and HBO. We'll be back in just a few moments with Allison Moore, the CEO of Comic Relief US. For over 25 years, Jason has coached, trained, and developed thousands of leaders and executives, helping them achieve their next career breakthrough. He's a featured speaker at global conferences and companies to help everyone bring their best authentic self to work, show their value, and lead with their brand every day. Get more tips and tools at leadwithyourbrand.com. Hey, I am back and we've got a fabulous guest today. It is Allison Moore, who is the CEO of Comic Relief US. Allison, what is going on? Hello, Jason. Nice to see you. Thank you for having me on uh, to speak with you today. I'm, I'm jazzed for the conversation. Yay. Well, I'm super excited. So you have to kick us off. What is new and exciting at Comic Relief US? Oh, my gosh. So. Comic Relief US, we are a, a nonprofit organization that has been in the US for about seven years, but we were started from our, our original uh, formation was in the UK with Richard Curtis, who was the founder of Comic Relief in the UK and in the late 80s, um, really centering work on how to bring entertainment and engagement and delight and celebrities and talent and just kind of like levity to a really sensitive topic. And figuring out how to do that through a comic relief event, through something called Red Nose Day. And that organization in the UK has raised a billion and a half dollars for helping end poverty across the world and launched it here in the US seven years ago. And we have Red Nose Day, which we are kicking off this year on May 26, which is really exciting. And what we do for Red Nose Day is use all of those magical things. So a partnership with Walgreens and 9,500 stores, a partnership with NBC in which we build together a night of TV for Red Nose Day or a day of Red Nose Day, leveraging all their talent and through all that massive megaphone that is NBC, of course, and NBC Universal. And then a host of different digital sort of activations to raise dollars to help end child poverty here in the U.S. And with those dollars, we've been able to raise almost $275 million for Red Nose Day, 
helping to keep children safe, healthy, educated, and empowered. And what we're doing now is embarking on a really, so year, you know, this next year for Red Nose Day, which I mentioned, will um, kick off in Walgreens in April, but then culminates on Red Nose Day, which is May 26th, 2022. And then at the same time, what we're doing is thinking about other ways that we can bring levity, fun, and engagement, and just like new ways to break through the the white noise and drive awareness for people in their everyday life about some of the really serious issues that are going on today. And so our organization is now um, looking at the lens of intergenerational poverty and what that means for not only children, but how that sort of staying in this sort of escalator of poverty is generational and how we start to break those binds of generational poverty and think of new ways to have empowerment programs programs against that sort of support health, that support safety and homelessness and other kinds of issues that we can bring to the bear. And what more can we do to kind of raise the public awareness of that? So that we have a ton going on. And I, it's just, you know, I, unlike in the commercial sector, when you say we just need to do more, when we say we need to do more here, it means more people get helped and has a very direct line to actually making an impact as opposed to just kind of making, doing more to make more. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's really super inspiring and, and I'm ready to go out and get uh, my new red nose this year uh, at, at Walgreens. <laughs> so Allison, talk to me. I mean, you're doing this, this exciting thing, which you've been doing since 2019. But when you think back across your career, what have been some of those things or those moments where you felt, wow, this is really a career breakthrough that got you closer to this CEO role that you have today? You know, I have always been led by some level of probably it's a dual thing of impatience <laughs> and curiosity, right? And I, and they, they don't always come together at the right time for maximum effect. But I will say that way back, you know, I was, I started at Turner. I was there for three and a half years and I really, really, and I, that was in Atlanta and I really, really wanted to move to New York. And um, I mean, I'm going to sound like I'm a thousand years old because I guess I am, but I was looking in the back of multi-channel mag, you know, multi-channel news magazine for the good job listings, right? Sending stuff through in a fax. There was no internet to kind of a jobs board or whatever. And so networking at, at events. And finally I got the breakthrough of meeting somebody that worked at HBO in New York and kind of in the same division I was in at Turner. And I took the jump to kind of move to New York and move my entire everything to start that job. And that, that, you know, that was a breakthrough moment in many ways. I think I was making ready for this. Hold on. It was like 22,000 a year. Oh, at, no. At Atlanta. Okay, hold up. And then I made 42,000 a year at my big job in New York. And I was like, more, <laughs> still had no money with that big of a difference <laughs> from Atlanta to New York. I was like, wait a minute. <laughs> I thought it was a high roller, but that, that was not the case. But, you know, I think I, you know, I thankfully, and I was lucky, I had uh, a little bit of help from my parents to sign the co-sign on the apartment because I wasn't making enough to get an apartment. And I, you know, I benefited from having those and, you know, talk about intergenerational sort of influence. Those are the things that, you know, and we talk about this a lot, you know, generational wealth. And by the wealth, I mean, let me use that <laughs> lightly. I'm not sitting on anything. Uh, it doesn't mean you're sitting on a big trust fund. It means the ability to have access and support in certain times along the way. And that was one for me where my father had, was co-signing for an apartment. I would not have had an apartment where I had it had he not co-signed, right? So 
that's a little bit of a, that was definitely a break, a breakthrough moment. When I left HBO to go run Daily Candy, that was a breakthrough moment. You know, it was really hard to leave HBO. I loved working there. I loved the people, loved the mission, loved everything we were doing. Like, but I just, I felt like I needed to do and learn some more things around monetization and driving revenue and building, scaling an, an organization from the ground, kind of the ground up because it was a digital business. You know, I think uh, when I when I left to go to SoundCloud, I was super nervous about going to a really large, large internet organization, which was really a platform organization, which has a lot to do, as much to do with engineering as it does content. You know, HBO, NBC, Universal, Daily Candy are all content companies that leverage technology for growth. SoundCloud started as a music platform in which, you know, emerging artists could upload their content and then users could come. So very much like a, um, almost in some way, a marketplace exchange, right? And which has everything to do with technology. And then the brand and rapper of SoundCloud comes as a part of it for sure. But I love that job. That job was super interesting. And I, I was, I was really grateful to be able to be there at a time to help launch the subscription service, a global subscription service across so many different countries, but then also the marketing and the international strategy and kind of how we were, it was just, you know, so that was a breakthrough moment for me in many ways to just further and sharpen my skill set, you know, and then I think finally, I was able to, you know, through having all these different experiences, secure two board seats on two really very interesting companies that are creating opportunity for your, for artists, musicians around content, multiple different platforms at Trace and Downtown, um, which has been a really interesting just way to pull together all these experiences and focus in on, on just ways to build value for creators. I, I, that is a space that I feel really passionate about. In addition to, you know, in some ways, coming and meeting with Richard for comic relief, he is a creator. You know, he is the creator of Oh my gosh, you know, Notting Hill, Four Weddings and a Funeral, Love Actually, he created yeah. Sabine. He's, I mean, he is just, he is a creative through and through. He took his magical superpowers of creativity and turned that into a, a billion and a half, almost two billion now, if you combine US and UK. Yeah. Dollars of good to social impact to help people's lives. And so, in some ways, working with him, it was very much like working with another creator <laughs> and a creator vision to sort of help build that superpower, you know, and I, yeah. I, I don't know, there's always been a through line to all this together. So, and I think the biggest breakthrough now has just been really being able to join social, take all that media and all that, you know, digital experience and bring it to social impact. It's been a very interesting transition and, and super meaningful. So Allison, talk to me because it is not always the most traditional career path for someone to go from from storytelling and and media and technology to going into the social impact side. So tell me, what was some of the thought process there for you? And what were some of the things that you thought about in terms of opportunities versus trade-offs? Yeah, yeah. So, you know, I I got the call from Russell Reynolds, who was searching for the CEO role here. And I, I, to be perfectly honest, I got when I received the call, I was like, "Did you call the right person?" <laughs> <laughs> it's like, I'm not, it's Allison Moore from. And you know, one of the things that I had talked with some of the folks that I had been close with at Russell Reynolds before in the past was just you know that I was looking. I, I had always felt like that the jobs that I had in media, whether it was HBO, SoundCloud, Daily Candy, even Condé Nast and NBC Universal, of course, I felt like I was on the business side of helping content and content creators yeah. and makers and creatives 
amplify their work, yeah. which felt to me very purpose-led. If I, this is no shade to any, I want to know, chair manufacturer, <laughs> but I never felt like I would be the right person to sort of be the head of marketing or digital, or whatever it was for like to manufacture chairs. Yeah. Cause to me, I just needed to feel that sort of gravitational pull to purpose and the why, you know, and that felt very explanatory to me. My husband's an architect. He's a professor. Yeah. He makes things he's, you know, and so maybe it's been this sort of longing for me to have proximity to people that make things and be in their aura. So I say that by saying when they called, you know, at, to, for this role, I, they've said, you know, you just need to talk to Richard Curtis and, and kind of have a conversation with him and kind of understand his vision. And, and when I sat with him, as I was saying earlier, you know, and heard about the, the lens through which he sort of sees the ways to drive awareness and the way he communicated how he took this, this kind of incredibly moving experience that he had in, in Africa in the late 80s, came back to the UK and was like, what else can I do? And built from this a way to express and drive awareness and scale that awareness that had this massive material benefit. And when I think about what we do in media and we think about what we do in storytelling and content creation and really understanding that, you know, creating awareness and creating sort of understanding around a concept and then telling the story for something and driving that through content and through image and video and written word and doing that across, you know, linear platforms, now digital platforms, now social platforms, now the metaverse and what it's going to extend into this sort of, you know, binary internal and external world that we are going to be, you know, living in. I felt like as a 20 some odd year media executive, I could probably bring something to the table for that because that's the primary way that we raise, we fundraise at Comic Relief, you know, whether it's Red Nose Day, bringing back sport relief, bringing rather sport relief to the US, which we're talking about doing, bringing back the Comic Relief OG event, you know, could we, could we bring that, comedic event that raised dollars and awareness for the things that are really happening in the world. You know, I, these are things I know I can do. If I can be humble enough to understand that there is this incredible grant making work that goes on at Comic Relief and in Red Nose Day, you know, we raise all those funds through all the ways I just talked about, which are really untraditional in the social impact sector. We don't really do galas. We don't have a huge direct mail campaign. We do it in the halls of Walgreens, in the halls of NBC, in the halls of Twitter, news, you know, uh, YouTube, Twitch. I mean, these are the digital spaces with which we kind of activate. But we have a grant making team that once we raise those funds, those dollars are thoughtfully distributed among, you know, 20 to 25 grantee partners that are really hand selected by my grants team that to ensure that the programs that we're putting those dollars are the ones that move the needle towards the kinds of issues and the work that we want to see for frankly, the change in the world, right? So as long as I had the humility to understand that I needed, I had things to learn there, I felt like, and to partner with that team and, and to understand the, the different various pieces, I felt like I could, uh, that I could do. I think what would have been hard for me is if we didn't have that sort of legacy and heritage of entertainment and content creation and engagement and Allison, talk to me. What what did you need to shift about your leadership style or your executive style really moving into a purpose-driven social impact organization versus just a pure play content company? You know, I, I really I do think kind of the qualities of leadership, um, the skill sets needed 
to lead a team and to be a successful leader, there is an element of, you know, curiosity and humility and empathy and focus and openness at the same time, a desire to always drive towards a North, articulate and drive towards a North Star. And so that folks have a sense of the, the direction of travel, if you will, while also being able to be mindful of how you, what it takes to build to that North Star, you know, and having the operational know-how. And I think in some ways, patience to understand that Rome isn't built in a day. And you've, if you can, you, you need to be able to build to it and you need to help your team create steps to build to it and, and keep that running. That is no matter what role you're in. Right. I, if you're in media, if you're in technology, if you're in, you know, social impact sector, I, I think that, that those are sort of qualities that need to be imbued. And I think I brought that here to comic relief. I think the added layer in a social impact in a nonprofit is, you know, intentionality um, and a space of understanding that your work that you do every day is on behalf of and in Red Nose Day's case, in behalf of children who are, we are looking to support and, that, and recognizing and remembering that's why you do the work. Changes the way you talk about the work, changes the place that you sit and you represent, changes your own kind of lens on your own uh, background and privilege. And that will never be the case in a commercial organization. You just, it won't rise to that level of clarity. And that doesn't mean it has to in a commercial organization, but that's what I've learned here. And I continue to learn and unpeel the onion on that. And I think when you think about where the world is today and running organizations that are very much requiring inclusivity and equity and diversity and a level playing field, Everyone needs to think about that at their organization. I think we live that because we must at our organization and you must come to our organization with that in your, in your frame. And I, and because that's what we should be, that, that should be a center kind of unit of who we are at, at, at comic relief for sure. But I would say any nonprofit or social impact organization. Absolutely. And I might argue that uh, in the for-profit space, people are finding that needs to be a muscle they need to focus on as well. Right. Yeah. And I think it's about time. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, one of the, I've had the, the, privilege, frankly, and the pleasure of working with like so many great, amazing people above me, beside me, around me on my team. You know, um, I really have. I I have been an eye shot and ear shot of some pretty not so great behavior. Yeah. And so and that's not restricted to media for sure, <laughs> or digital and technology for sure. And it's time that that changes. You know, human beings working with human beings is always going to be a little messy for sure. But there, people need to level up. Absolutely. So, Allison, let's talk a little bit about your brand as an executive. Give me three words that you would use to describe your executive brand. I think empathic. Mm. I was going to say opinionated, but I'm trying to think of a better <laughs> word than that. Right? I know. I um, Strong conviction. That's two words, but that's really I, – I have a, a strong conviction about – what we should be doing and mm. how we should be doing it. Yeah. Um, but I think at that, that uh, anything strident that is tempered by my, I think 
general sense of empathy, which is quite strong. And I, I think inclusive. Oh yeah. I strive to be an inclusive leader and I always have much, you know, before it became a capital I and it was always a small, I, <laughs> you know, something that was important to me because I, I, I prefer to be in teams like that too. And so talk to me, Allison, about how that shows up. So when you talk about being an inclusive leader with the little I, right. Um, and, and you you say that that's something that has sort of been something that's been natural to you or something that you've focused on for a long time. How does that show up to be inclusive at the level that you're at in a big organization with big stakeholders and and big mission? What does that look like on a daily basis for you? I think that is about being sensitive to carving out spaces where you're out of your own echo chamber, mm. first of all. You know, so often it's very easy for for people at senior levels to surround themselves with only one sort of round of voices. And then the drum beats to that person for decision-making and thinking about and getting feedback loops from the organization start to become kind of canned, frankly, because it's, you're, you're listening almost to yourself on repeat. And I think that that's a bad idea for all the reasons that one would think it is. And so the problem is those are the people you're surrounded with because that's the way the structure is. And so this is one of the things that, you know, figuring out ways that you have, better exposure to and have, even if it's in formal ways, you know, to kind of talk to, communicate with, share comments from, solicit feedback through, you know, folks. I, I think that that, and that's work because it's much easier to stay in your own sort of bubble of meetings that you have all the time, right? And look, I don't, I'm, I'm not perfect. I, there are still, as I'm even talking about this right now, I'm thinking about things that I need to improve to be able to, you know, just, I think inclusivity is a constant, it's a constant muscle to develop, you know, because I think organizations are sort of set up to be somewhat hierarchical to get things done. And that doesn't always sort of lend itself to inclusivity, but I think you got to work at it. And, and inclusive and empathic seem to go really well together, but it strikes me that having strong convictions sometimes is shows up in opposite ways of being empathic and inclusive. How do those, how do those three things all work together and not work against e each other for you? I got a lot to say about this. So to me, this is like the what and the how I think too often it's just accepted that I'm a hard, you know, one is a hard charging, I need to get something done, we have a, you know, a, a line in the sand to meet. And it's my way or the highway. And there's only one way to do it. <laughs> and I'm not, I'm, I, I'm not open to thinking about care, I don't see you, nor do I need to see you. In order to get that done, you're just going to get it done, because I told you to. I think that I think that approach yields results in some places and I can cite where some of those places are but it eventually breaks and here's the thing I'm not interested in that I'm not interested in being in an organization like that I'm not interested in kind of running my organization like that and I don't think it has to be either or I think you can you know I also don't think you're so empathic that you can't make a decision or you're crying at the table with sitting next to people about you know or you are so inclusive that you can't make decisions. I mean, I think there's there's extremes on either side, right? And the best place to be is the balance. And I just don't think it's mutually exclusive. I don't think having, you know, leading with empathy and leading with inclusivity is necessarily 
going to keep you out of the realm of having conviction of the roads you need to travel and the kind of, you know, path that the organization needs to go on. And then and then the setting the milestones to achieve those that need to be achieved on that path. I just I don't believe it. Yeah. Yeah. And Allison, I know over the years, I'm, you've had great mentors and coaches and, and, and role models. Tell me about a time when maybe the way you were showing up in terms of your, your brand at the time, you got a little bit of feedback that it wasn't, it wasn't working as well as maybe you had hoped. I, I'll actually answer that in two ways. I think the first thing is everybody has stress behaviors and when you are under an enormous amount of stress or you feel like you are not in the right space, I think your behavior starts to change and you start to act and behave differently, you know? And I, I certainly can see in places in my career where I felt an inordinate amount of stress because I was placed in a situation and I didn't think it built out the best behavior in me, you know? And a lot of that was feeling insecure about, you know, how do I feel in this, in this, not, not so much the level or position, but like the, the place that I'm supposed to be playing in the field, who's, who's not happy with me being in that place and how much, you know, I mean, that this is the thing that you have to, the higher, I think you go up in a chain in an organization, the more darts that can be at your back. (laughs) And I think, um, and I think that's a, that brings out, that feeling of where I'm not on the team or, you know, I'm happy to earn my spot on the team, but if I'm not, if there's just already consternation about something or there's backbiting or there's the, the culture of an organization is like not great. I'm not at my best. And I know that about myself and you know what? I'm not interested in that either. So I culture is everything to me or else I, when I get stressed, I get tense or I withdraw. And you know, I either over rotate because I'm too much in control of something and want to be too in control, or I just push the table away like, mm, yeah, I'm disengaged. And neither of those are acceptable if you're a leader. Yeah. And, and how is it that you build culture, Allison, especially knowing you're not the founder of let's just take comic relief? How do you, how do you evolve a culture or, or build on that culture as a leader? I think it goes back to <laughs> empathy and inclusivity yeah. and direction. I really do. I, I think you can't build a culture by just kind of snapping your fingers and saying, hey, I'd like a culture. <laughs> I'd like us to be like this now. You know what I mean? I think you have to, people need to feel it from you in an authentic way. You need to state your intention of that culture and then you, it ha- you have to demonstrate it, you know, and then it, it builds over time. I mean, I think when you, I had the privilege of, as you know, of working at HBO for many, many years, that you know, I, I can't speak for what it's like right now, um, but the HBO culture that I knew was pretty amazing and I loved it. And we lived that, you know, that we, I, I think we all kind of experienced a unified culture because of that, you know, and I, I, it, it's very important. So I, you know, stepping into a comic relief, like when I first stepped into, I wasn't the founder of SoundCloud either. It was founded by Eric and Alex who were amazing, you know, founders and, and sort of the, the folks that had the spark of what it, what it was identify the need and then build to that company to that we were all kind of working there but to me it was building a culture within my team which was the revenue team that had come together from all these disparate areas and was now fully forming for the first time it it was incumbent upon me upon leading that to sort of create that culture in a, a larger culture you know and i think that's 
that's what, you know, whether you're doing it from the start, whether you're the founder, you're coming in with a founder or whether you're building a division in a group, you know, even at NBCU, there was, a, I mean, there was a very different culture on the NBC team versus the cable entertainment team versus, you know, I was on the distribution team. And I think that's figuring out how the mini cultures exist in the micro culture, <laughs> the macro cultures are important too, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Now, Allison, tell me, what did you want to be when you were growing up? All right. This is really, so I, everything. <laughs> so I was like, international relations, I'm going to go to the Capitol Hill and work in, you know, because my degree was in poli sci. I was an art major for two years. I, you know, I don't know. I, 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 to me, it, and you can see this thread with everything I've done is just, it's all about the curiosity of learning and growing and thinking and changing things, you know? Um, so I never had that one thing. My husband isn't, as I mentioned, was an architect and he is an architect. And he was like, I knew I wanted to be an architect and I was in first grade. I was like, what? I can't even imagine being that, you know, and that guided him and it continues to guide him to now. He does a ton of different projects. He grows and evolves and creates things. And, you know, what he was doing 10 years ago is not, nowhere near what he's doing today. But he's always wanted to be an architect. You know, my multi-handed answer to that explains why I'm also just, I feel like, you know, at an at the age that I am, <laughs> I am uh, the so young age. I am still unfolding myself. Yeah. And it sounds like you always wanted to just be on a path of learning and growing. Yeah. I, I, impatience and boredom are not my, <laughs> I think I, it, you know, I, and I, not so much boredom as much as it is. I just, you know, I, that's what fuels me. And I think that's why I've been, you know, had the, the opportunity to be in very uh, change oriented organizations where things are needed to sort of grow and evolve and to sort of transform to meet the next stage. And I, I like that because it is, it does feed a certain level of curiosity and sort of build and creation, Yeah, you know, while maintaining the sort of rudder as to the why you're doing it. And like I mentioned, you know, on the media side, it really was around the, the creative work. And, but here it's the why is very clear. Yeah. So Allison, a couple of quick, fun questions for you. We talked a little bit about your brand. What brand are you obsessed with right now as a consumer? All right. I have two answers that, that have come to mind. I am always obsessed with Net-A-Porter. Okay. I'm obsessed with that brand because of the way it um, interacts and interfolds with its consumer and the way it caters to its consumer and the interface, the experience. And there is just something about that packaging that is interesting to me. Right. And that's always been the, and that I am a, you know, I am not always buying everything on that. <laughs> particularly clear. not if I'm working at a not nonprofit to be clear, it's different. Um, but there is something always that was engaging, uh, to me about that brand and kind of set the stage for how brands needed to operate in e-commerce. And then I think another brand to me that was really interesting, um, is Bombas socks. Yeah. And why do you say that? And how they, they took what is a very pedestrian basic product really worked to create a very good version of it 
but there is a principle of giving from every purchase that's made. And that was not done with a bunch of fanfare and chest beating. It just is part of the DNA of what they do. And it sucks. And when you think about that and you think about socks and you know the product is good so the product has to be good you imagine what organizations could be doing with their own platform that are things much bigger than socks <laughs> or much more you know uh much more expensive much more you know uh integral of people's lives i just feel i just felt like that was a very interesting example and done with a lot of humility and grace mm. now allison if you were a type of car what type of car would you be a, a carmen Ghia, but one that works <laughs> And, and why did you select why did you select the Carmen Ghia? A Volkswagen Carmen Ghia because that is the car that I pined over for years. I used to leave my dad notes in his briefcase circling where again back to the Stone Age when we had newspaper ads for Carmen Ghias and I would circle all of them and say this would be really great. He was like, no, no. You're not, no. <laughs> he also thought, you know, he thought that the engine, that you'd have to, they'd be on the repair blocks all the time, which is probably true, but they looked so cool. Yeah. And, and, and why are you like that car? It just looked good. I just, I just <laughs> love the lines of it. I mean, it sounded like a, a like a lawnmower when it drove, you know, cause it, and as a stick shift, it kind of reminded me of some of the lines on the Porsche. I'm sure that's not right, but that's what it reminded me of. And but it wasn't Porsche price. <laughs> <laughs> What's the best career advice you'd like to pass on to our listeners? I think one thing I always I always think about is that interesting work. And somebody had said this to me: interesting work keeps your mind nimble and curious. Mm. And you should always think that you're doing something interesting first and foremost. You know, I think particularly younger folks. And I look, I I went through this myself. You know, chasing money's important you know, t title, whatever. I mean, what you're doing, where you are in your space is important. I don't, I'm not trying to say it's not. But if you're doing interesting work that feeds your head and your soul and whatever that may mean to you, it's really important because that is what keeps your head. I mean, I, I, just, I just feel like that that keeps your head healthy in many, many ways for many other things in your life. Somebody had said to me, dull work does exactly what you would expect it does. <laughs> And I think it, I think it, you know, and I think there has been a conversation like whether or not, well, that makes work the center of everything. And I don't make, I don't mean to say that work is the center of everything, but if you're going to be doing work, make sure it's interesting to you and make sure that's there first. If it's not interesting, it will be dull and it will do weird things to your brain. <laughs> well, Allison, it was so great to reconnect with you. Thank you for being empathic and inclusive and having strong convictions. Now, uh, Next month is Red Nose Day. So tell all of our listeners what they need to do. While you're buying your paper towel, your toilet paper, your whatever you're going in for Walgreens for, to take a minute to donate to Red Nose Day and to help children who are living in poverty in the U.S. and across the globe and supporting them in programs that are going to help keep them safe, healthy, educated, and empowered. And then all that activity culminates for two months to the end of the Red Nose Day, which is May 26th this year, which we will have a bunch of fun activities on NBC. And so that will be kind of our big main campaign. But, you know, you can donate to Red Nose Day now, September, November, December, 365 days a year. And our work is always going to support children across all those areas. So, And where can people donate? 
rednoseday.org. All right. So we're all heading to rednoseday.org and we'll go into Walgreens to get our red noses. Allison, it was so great talking to you. Thank you so much, Jason. It was so, so, so great. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. And we'll be back in a few moments with my final thoughts. Are you tired of not being recognized for your work? Are you ready to rise above the rest and accelerate to the next level? The Lead With Your Brand Career Breakthrough Mentoring Program will help you take control of your career, develop your own unique brand, and catapult you to a whole new level of success. You are a top performer, and the Lead With Your Brand Career Breakthrough Mentoring Program is what you need to get you there. Visit leadwithyourbrand.com to learn how. Well, I just loved reconnecting with Allison Moore, the CEO of Comic Relief US. You know, Allison had so many great pieces of advice, but what really resonated with me was her whole concept of curiosity and always needing to learn. You know, we've heard that from so many of our other guests. It really strikes me that as you look at growing your career, your path and your sense of opportunities is innately tied to that toolkit of talents and skills that you're building. And you're only going to be able to continue to build that toolkit if you are looking for interesting opportunities where you're going to learn and grow. Quite frankly, if you're not learning and growing, it's time to move on. If you're the smartest person in the room, maybe you need to find a new room. Well, that's our show for you today. Make sure that you celebrate Red Nose Day on May 26th, and you can go out to Walgreens right now and donate and get your red nose. Now, make sure that you are following us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts, and we'll deliver a brand new show every single Tuesday. Follow me on social media. I'm at Jason Patria on all platforms, and check me out on LinkedIn where I share tons of tips and tricks on how to lead with your brand to your next career breakthrough. And remember, in your career, don't be a boring old commodity like coffee. Make sure you are a super premium brand like Starbucks. You've been listening to Lead With Your Brand, the podcast that explores and uncovers exceptional career success stories and inspiring personal brand journeys with your host, personal branding expert, diversity advocate, and keynote speaker, Jason Patria. Remember to subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Visit us at leadwithyourbrand.com.